0: According to this, it's recording. It's got all the little wavelength things and everything. So you guys online have just heard me talk wavelength, which is about as scientific as I'm ever going to get. So there. Okay? So, some of you have been looking at that already up on the board. It says, if you understand discipline, somebody give me a one-word definition for discipline. Training, Training or Teaching. Either one. I like the word training only because they, they really do mean kind of the same thing. But training, I think most of us have the thought that that means uh, not only teaching but showing them and watching them and coaching them. So it's that whole process. Um, and of course it is, what it is not is punishment, which is basically what? Again, one word. Revenge. It's just, it's just getting even with the kids. And you know, nobody's going to, well, most people won't say they're doing that, but it happens anyway. And we've just got to kind of keep an eye on ourselves. Um, If you know your parenting goals, by now, hopefully everybody here has done the parenting goal wheels and hopefully even if you have more than one child and they're more than a few years old, uh, separated those so that those goal wheels are per child. And if you don't have any, then you've done one for what you're looking for in the future. Pass that around. Just sign in if you would. Um, And then if you are managing your parenting team, we talked last week about the parenting team. Who's on it? Who's not on it? Who do you want on it? All of that kind of stuff. But it's not just knowing that. It's actively interacting and managing that team. And that never stops. It's a very dynamic thing. The team will not be the same next year as it is today shouldn't be your child's not the same so why would you want the team to be the same and and you should never be shy about being the advocate for your team did I did I share with you the story of of what my daughter heard okay sometimes I get the classes mixed up We had a really cool reinforcement of this because I I was very well-known for doing that, which basically meant, no, my kids will never be at your house because you're not going to be on that parenting team. I don't trust you. And I've, I've had that conversation with parents. And by the way, they don't like it when you say that. And they get mad and they say, why do you think you're better than me? And I say, I'm not better than you, but when my kids are home, so am I. And when my kids have friends over, I guarantee you I'm home. And when your kids have friends over, you don't have a clue what's going on, so my kid won't be one of them. Um, That guy's daughter contacted my daughter a month, month and a half ago, and uh, she's now come to the Lord. And my daughter had something to do with that. And I know the story, and I know some of the things that happened between them uh, all the way back in high school. But it was so cool to hear her life now and how things have totally turned around, Compared to what was going on. And then to hear my daughter talking about, you know, that's because of this. And seeing her planning the very same sorts of things for their kids. Because there's no way in the world they're gonna let their kids go somewhere with no parents there when they're a bunch of teenagers, you know. Um, so y- you've gotta be active and be willing to do that. And that means, by the way, be willing to be the bad guy, even with your kids. Which is why it's great to feel like you're a friend, but as soon as they say, I hate you, that's okay. Because, you know, what's their job? To get their way. If they can make you feel bad to get their way, that's part of the job. And they'll do that. And I get that. But we can't give in. All right, and if, then, if, if those things are there, then you're ready to explore your toolbox. The toolboxes, I've talked to you about that before, is basically just a lot of different things that you can use as parenting techniques. I do not pretend that I'm going to give you every one of them, although I think you're going to find that <clears throat> the things that I present over the next four weeks, concluding tonight, are broad enough that most things will fit in. So I'm very intentionally using broad categories. I could break it down into, you know, 25 different things, but A, none of us is going to remember that, and B, it's, it's not really that different. So what I'm going to be doing beginning tonight is talking about various levels of uh, discipline, <clears throat> meaning teaching or training, and what tools to use for that. And I want you to think about process. I actually introduced this with people I worked with years and years ago and I don't think it's a bad idea to do this. Um, You can use, you know, what it looks like there which was basically three by five. Notice how I punched a hole in there. So I just wanted you to see the hole punch, you know, being very detailed in my artwork here. Um, Years ago, uh, back in the beginning of 1982, One of the things that I did as a family life specialist for the Family Support Center is take contracts from protective services and go and work with parents whose children had either been removed from the home or whose children were at risk of being removed from the home because of the the results of their investigations and either extreme uh, neglect Um, And I usually didn't take those cases because those were usually funneled to the health department or uh, discipline issues. And so a lot of these parents, I'm actually working in their own homes, usually with their children on a visit, running around. I'm teaching exactly what I'm teaching you. I've modified it a few times over the years, but by and large, it's the same thing. And then we would get to the point where, of course, you know, when your kids aren't with you, if somebody's taking your kids away, there's that, it's a horrible feeling. I've never experienced it, but I've seen them, and it's, I get it. And I would, I was always the good guy. And that was, frankly, I loved that. It's like, they took your kids away. My job's to help you get them back. And that did win me a lot of cooperation. So I said, here's the thing. One of the things that the people making the decisions are looking for is... Are you thinking these things through or are you just knee-jerking? Because if you're just knee-jerking, honestly, you're never getting your kids back. But if you're thinking them through and they can see that and see that your process is sound, then you got a great chance of that happening and happening sooner. So I would give each one of them a set of anywhere from 20 to 50 cards like this with a ring through that hole and a different set for each child because... Usually, the children weren't, like, a year and two and a half. You know, they were older and, uh, and more of a separation in terms of who they are. And I would have them fill this out, and I said, I, you need to give me as many of these as possible. And I would frequently get anywhere from uh, a dozen to two or three dozen a week. And that's good, because if you think about this, um, you could easily do that in a day in terms of interactions with kids if you're thinking about discipline and not punishment or even just part of discipline. So the first thing I had them do is write down the behavior. Now if I say behavior what do you think of? Lying. Okay lying maybe. What else? Talking back. Talking back. Anything else? Um, doing something that you're talking to. Okay. All of these are corrective and that's what most of us do. Well, here's the good news. There's a lot of stuff on your goals that you don't have to wait till they do something wrong to be involved with them on. So the behavior might be a good behavior you want in them that you want to build. And the more of that you focus on, the less down the road of all this other stuff. Okay? Tonight, we're going to be talking about that, the preventive stuff. And I will tell you, I, it happens every time, including Sunday, probably half a dozen times I said, yeah, I get that. But that's prevention or that's correction. And it, oh, yeah, we forgot. Because that's what gets our attention. You know, if you've got kids, you're already zoomed in on, well, what, but what do you do with this? Or how do you deal with this? Or, and those are good questions. But that's not where we have to start. So I'm going to stall you on that. If you come up with one of those, I'm going to say that's next week when we start talking correction. Prevention is... Um, let's say I, the, the, the child is now one. Okay? Well, one-year-olds can sort of talk back but usually unintelligibly so I'm gonna put it in prevention. So I don't want my one-year-old, or my two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old to be rebellious to talk back. So how do I push in the direction of keeping them on that track? Okay? Well, uh, lying. Somebody said lying? It's lying. lying. Um, I want my kids to be honest. How many of you want dishonest kids? Nobody wants dishonest kids. Okay, good idea. So if I catch them early enough, which almost always has to be like before they're three or four, (laughs) but then I can do that as as a prevention thing. But when you start looking at your goal wheels and the things that you're looking at at 18, a lot of the things when you bring those goals back to say, okay, my child's only 10 now, so they're not going to have this 18 part done tomorrow. Or, or next year, for that matter, so what does it look like on that road from here to eleven and we 're talking prevention okay so we we need to zero in on this as much as possible, and there there is such a giant temptation to just immediately keep going to the other side, but this is important, okay, so you can use the cards of course for for correction as well, and that 's what I was doing with. Uh, with these clients most of the time. But I would have them ask, is this a prevention or a correction issue? Make them think that through. And, and of course, if everything uh, that they write down is correction, they give me you know 20 cards and every one of them is a correction card, I'm going to go, wait a minute. you know, the, do, do you see anything here? <laughs> so if you do this, whether it's on cards, you're keeping a log, whatever. I never used cards personally, but I did keep a log. And, and I'm writing that down, and I you know, yeah, this is all about correction. i got to pull myself back and say, no, that's, you know, I've gotten sucked in. So it doesn't mean I'm not going to deal with those issues. I'm going to, of course. But I need to put a priority in dealing with things before they go wrong, okay? Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure a lot of them are prevention. Now, correction says level. For next week, uh, just so I get this out, by the way, the reading assignment, Continue to read from where you are. You should have done the prevention part. Read the correction level one. Okay? As soon as you get to the part that says level two, stop. Okay? So next week we're going to focus on correction level one, the week after level two, the week after level three. And what those levels are about are basically heightening the intensity of your response. And in reaction to you deciding what the intensity of the behavior is. So for example, um, kid tells a little lie. Now nobody here raised their hand when I said, do you want your kids lying? So I'm going to assume we're all on, you know, nope, that's a correction. We want that to change. Kid tells a little lie. But for some parents, that's a level one which means you're going to be um, not reacting quite as intensely. You're going to pick tools that don't have as dramatic an effect. Other parents will say, no, no in our values, that's, that's like sky high. And that's going to skip forward to a level two at least. So as we get to these, you'll see that you know, what we're basically saying is you as the parents have to make value judgments. What level is that? I can't tell you. Because for me, it might be one level, and for you, a different one. Now, there are some that are going to be real obvious. Level three is basically crisis intervention. And it's going to be done differently, of course, with a two-year-old and a 15-year-old. But, for example, a two-year-old runs out into the street. Okay? What are you going to do? Of course, you're going to go chase them and pick them up and pull them out of the street. See, every one of us knows that we're going to do that. We're not going to kind of wait and kind of think, well, maybe it's okay if that happens again. They'll learn, you know. (laughs) Let the consequences happen. They get hit by the truck, and it causes them all sorts of broken bones, and they'll pick it up, you know. No, we're not going to do that. And there's adolescent versions of that that we're going to say, oh, no, 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 no. That doesn't get to ever happen again. And so our, our intensity of response will match that. So that's what the levels are about. Don't worry about it yet, we're going to be unfolding that for the next three, well tonight and then three more. Then I would ask them, I want you to list every possible response you can think of. Now by the time I'm having them do this, I've already done all four of the segments that we're we're working on. So they had every one that I've taught them. But what I would tell them is if you're thinking of something other than what I'm teaching you, I want that written down. I want to know what's going on in here, and frankly, so do your social workers, because that tells them if, if you're ready. And we've got to be brutally honest with ourselves here. One time I had a, uh, oh, a mother and father, uh, two kids, six or seven and about ten, um, out of the home, but having weekend visits, uh, weekend because both parents were home during the week, there was a lot more stress in the home because of the work schedules of the parents and that was one of the things they had to deal with. Um, So on the weekend visit, and I'm I'm doing a session like Monday or Tuesday, I get the cards and behavior. Uh, Six year old boy would not eat his oatmeal, okay? How many of you have had a child that would not eat their whatever, okay? In this case it was oatmeal, okay, fine. Now I know this guy and I know that I'm there for a reason, okay? It wasn't because he was so reasonable with his kids, right? And the, the reason he was pulled actually happened, and he was a guy who would just way overreact and get physical with the kids. So he gives me all these things that are exactly what maybe I would have written down, and they looked pristine. I mean, it was great. In other words, he knew what I wanted to see, right? Except I didn't believe him. And I told him flat out, if I, if I submit this, to the workers, yeah, I mean, they're gonna laugh, my, laugh me out of the office because they don't believe this either. So, I wanna know what else you thought of doing. And he's, he's like, all of a sudden he's very nervous. I said, no, 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 no. I'm on your side, remember? I wanna know what else you thought of doing. And he said, well. And his wife says, tell him. <laughs> I said, Yeah, ding, 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 ding. I know I hit something there. And he says, okay. I turned to my wife and I said, I want to just shove his face in the oatmeal. I said, great, write it down. He's going, no way. I said, no, you write that down. They'll never get my kids back. And I said, no, that will help you. Now, we're not dealing with that di- dynamic here, okay? You might be dealing with a desire to shove their face in the oatmeal. Um, it's a Miller. It's okay. Okay, it's not a moth, it's a Miller. No, it's not. Trust me. We Midwesterners, we know. <laughs> you got a Nebraska jacket on, therefore you must respond as such. Don't you not like spiders? Same thing. spiders and millers, not the same. Not a poisonous miller on the planet. Not a non-poisonous spider on the planet. Not the same thing. Well, in that case, bring a gun next week. It's the best way to kill spiders. Shotgun. <laughs> okay, so back to this. I had him start writing things that down. Now, why did I have him write that? To be honest with himself. Okay, number one, to be honest with himself. he didn't do it. Yeah, when he's staring at shove his face in the oatmeal, what's the one thing you know he's not going to do? There's no way in the world he's going to do that. When he's admitted to himself. Yeah. And so when he started doing that, and I, by the way, I would worked with a protective service worker for a year or two, I knew what she was looking for. And sure enough, she says, that really encourages me. And she told him that because now I know, A, you're honest, and B, you're not going to write that down and then do it. You know, it's when we pretend that we can't possibly be tempted to that, that all of a sudden we find ourselves doing something ridiculous and then, you know, having a lot of remorse for it. So, you write down every possible response. Now, when it's prevention, you're not going there. But when you get to the correction, be honest with yourself. And if there's things like that, write it down. Don't do it. You know, if, if it shows up down here, now we got a problem. Because once you write all of them down and you look at them and you ask yourself, here's my goal, here's my methods, which of the methods will best get me to the goal? Best response and why? Your response, by the way, here, your answer, might be different than mine. That might be because we have a difference of opinion, or it might simply be because there's tools that work better for you than they do for me, and vice versa. So if you're a couple, understand that one of you may have a tool that works really well for you, and the other a tool that does not. Next week, remind me, if anybody can remember, when we get to extinction, to give you an example of that because I've got a great one for our, from our family. Um, this is something I want you to be thinking about because, again, what we're really doing is lesson planning. That's what we're doing with our kids, except the lesson is way more important than anything they're ever going to see in school. So what do we want them to learn? What's the best way to do that? Think that through. Everything we do with our kids From this point forward, someone ought to be able to say, why are you doing that? And we ought to be able to tell them the goal. I mean, the goal might be as simple as they know they're loved, because I want to show them the love that I have for them. Okay, that's totally valid. I mean, it doesn't mean we have to come up with things that are totally academic all the time. But there's a reason we do these things. And what that will do is ensure that we never go either to the simple knee-jerk or, even worse, to punishment. Because you're not going to do that. You're not going to write down a possible response. Do the very same thing to him. Get back at him. And then do it. You might write it down because you feel like it, but you're not going to do it. Is that making sense? Okay. Um, Now, by now, hopefully, you've all read the segment on prevention. And so the first thing I want to do is I'm, I'm going to review the six prevention methods. But you know, I'm, I'm open to flexing on how much emphasis I give each. Does anybody have any questions about one or another? I was afraid that was going to happen. Okay, if you if you come up with any, feel free to bring them up. Um, I know not everybody has the same amount of time during the week. If you've got ten minutes, do ten minutes of this. If you've got the, I mean, do it all if you can. But if you've only got ten minutes, do the ten minutes of it. Because the more you do before you come in, including writing questions down, you know what that guy, you know, if you don't like what I said, that's that's baloney. Whatever, write it down and then let's interact with it when you come in. All right. the first uh, method if you will, the first tool in the toolbox for prevention. This is, I've got goals, I want my kids to be on the road towards those goals, I want to keep them from coming off the road. The first and by far most important is what we call modeling. Now modeling basically is setting an example. How many of you have ever had uh, this saying thrown at you? Do as I say, not as I do. Okay? And for how many of you did that work? You did as they said and not as they did. Sometimes. Uh, Sometimes. When you decided to. Yes. I'm sorry, I won't call that working. (laughs) So yeah, what happens is, even the smallest child can identify, wait a minute... You, you tell me this, but you do this, okay? By the time, remember the cognitive development. By the time a child is 8 or 10, they can see right through hypocrisy. They can smell it out like a stinking fish. And what, what's going to happen is they're pretty much going to rebound the other direction. By the time they're 14, 15, 16, if that's still happening, they will do that with a vengeance. And I've I've worked with kids in federal and state-funded programs who were almost literally shooting themselves in the foot to spite their parents. You know, my parents did this, my parents did this, my parents did this. And I'm going, yeah, I hear all of that. And I believe you. Why are you doing this to yourself? I'm not hearing you, you know, you attacked your parent or you cussed your parent out or something. That wouldn't be good, but I understand it. But you're doing this to yourself. What's going on with that? And kids will do that. So we've got to be careful that we don't do that to our kids. So here's the thing. There's a passage in Luke, Luke six forty. It's in your, your notebook. In this passage, Jesus is talking to his followers. and He's basically explaining to them, look, watch how they treat me. That's what they're going to do to you too. So don't be thinking you're going to get treated better than I am, because if they're going to treat me this way, they're going to treat those who follow me this way. And he sums it up, Luke 6.40 says, A student who's been fully trained will be like his teacher. Now that's kind of an American way of saying it, but it works. Now, the students were what we call the disciples, his his immediate followers. The teacher was the rabbi, Jesus. That was the application. That's what he was saying. But there's a secondary application because it's a principle that works all the way across. In your kids' lives, who are the students? They are. No, they are. No, they are. In their lives, they are. We cannot reverse that role for them or we're putting them in a place that is going to damage them. It's called parentifying. And it's putting our children into an inappropriate role as an adult in the relationship with us. Um, you, you do that, but guarantee you're going to harm them. What I was I, meaning is that as parents, we have to learn and adapt as we Absolutely, but that's not the question I asked. So still right. Is. But I'm going to come back and say in your children's lives, they are the students. Yes. Who is the teacher? You. you are. Now, if they have other teachers, secondary, other, that's great. And part of our job as, if you will, the lead teacher, is organizing and managing all of that. But we're the lead teacher. Now, in most of our situations, there's more than one. So with Jesus, I mean, he was the rabbi. He didn't have an assistant rabbi that was following him around. And so it was him. With my kids. I couldn't look in the mirror and say, okay, then when they're fully trained, they're going to be just like me. Because there was another variable, what's the other variable? My wife, okay? So most of us have someone else involved, and at a certain age, certainly even secondary comes in there. But by that time, uh, we've already hopefully gotten the management under control, okay? so. Here's the thing. We need to be able to look in the mirror and ask a real simple question. Am I good seeing my kids look like that? Not physically, although that's part of it, I suppose. But, you know, when I see who I am as a person, am I good with my kids being that person? And most of us are going to come up with some pretty mixed answers. There's going to be things we're going, yeah, that's good. I want them to be like that. And there's going to be other things. I, I, I don't want that to happen to them. I don't wish that on them. Okay? So we need to identify which is which. And the most important thing you can do as a parent for your kids is begin working on those things in your life that are not what you want them to be. If I have a bad temper, temper runs in my family. I'm actually emailing my grandson and talking to him about his family history with this. And you know he's fighting with his little brother and says, Grandpa, what do I do? I love this emailing thing. They've, by the way, they have a phone that they have to check out from their parents and they can text or email the grandparents. That's it. He's 12 years old. And I personally believe that is entirely all that a 12-year-old should have. But I love it as a grandparent, right? And so we're, we're talking family history and the fact that his father had a, an anger problem and the fact that his father's father had an anger problem. And I remember that conversation with my son because I could see my anger coming out in him. Now, by the way, at that point, now we're into correction, unfortunately. So you don't have, I'm saying, don't wait. But even then, the most important thing I can do, if I had caught it before I saw it happening in him, is say, okay, he's going to see that. He's going to be that. So I best start changing. So I had to have a conversation with my son where it was like, okay, you know your anger is out of control sometimes. And it was as a little kid, but you, know, you don't want to see it as a teenager if you don't do something about it as a little kid. That's when they actually harm people. So, okay, I know it's out of control. And you know that I have a problem sometimes with that too. And he's nodding. I said, so here's what we got to do. You and I have to work on that together because this is not how God wants us. If I had done anything short of that, he'd have blown me off even at that age. He was like eight. He would have blown me off totally. So we've got to be that person. We can't just give up on ourselves and say, you know, hope they're better. (laughs) There's going to be another one in a minute, self-esteem. It's one of the things that we can build into them that prevents them going off course. So if you look in the mirror and there's not self-esteem there, you best change that. Because guess where they're going to take their lead from? And here's the good news. You can change that. You're not stuck with any of these things. In my family, I was able to say to my my grandson, you know, I had to admit I had that problem. But, you know, your dad had a, a lot less than I did. To this day, 38 years old, 36 years old, 36 years old. Boy, I don't want to get two more years older yet. Give me two more years before I get there. 36 years old, he's never hit anybody in anger. Except his little sister, and he was like four. I'm not gonna count that in the same way. I love that. And then I look at what my grandson was talking about, and I asked him, when you talk, when you mean fight, what do you mean? Because when I was that, that age, I was going all out, including with weapons. You know what he meant by fight? They yelled at each other. I don't, I don't like that they yelled at each other, but I'm celebrating that he thinks that's a fight, you know? And then I can look back at my dad and in his dad, and I know how much worse they were. God lets us change things through the generations. I can't change me now. I mean, I can't change the past now but I can change me from the future, and even that will have an impact on these kids. And for for the prevention stuff, I can make that happen. Not just for them, but for the kids you don't even know you're gonna have later down the road as grandkids or great grandkids. And that is a cool feeling when you see that happening. So we have to be willing to look at ourselves and say, what is it that is in me that I want to see in my kids? What is it that is in me that I do not want to see? And, and that is not, I hide that. Because we're not that good at hiding. Our kids grow up with us. They know those things about us. They may not know where they came from or the right word to put on it, but they know. okay. Or, what about those things that, that just I really want them to see, but they don't see them? What happens, for example, if my kids never see me pray? They don't know how to pray. pray. <clears throat> it, so I may pray. I may pray a lot. But if they don't see me pray, then not only do they not know how to pray, but I'm the grown-up. And for the gender identity, uh, for my son, I'm the man. I'm the guy he sees as man. That's a picture of man in his head when he's developing what that means and you know what he's developing men don't pray you may not have that labeled but when someone says you should pray you know have I ever seen dad pray? Nope, men don't pray Hmm. it'll be just that quick because their brains are faster than computers so I need to make sure he sees that I need to make sure he knows that I see that as real and as important See. Last week we talked about the parenting team, and there's one thing that I need to clarify because I said, don't argue in front of the kids, right? Um, now, that was about something specific. Does anybody remember what? What should you never argue in front of the kids about? The kids. <laughs> because, you know, they see, they see the, the place they can drive a wedge. And even though it will make them extraordinarily insecure, they will do it because what's well, kid's job description? Get their own way. They're not sitting back going, well, I better not try to get my own way because if I drive a wedge between mom and dad, that might be a problem in their marriage. That'll create an instability for me down the road. Are <laughs> you no four-year-old gonna do that? No, they're just they see which one is, is the best target and they go. See? So never about the kids. Let, let those discussions, arguments be somewhere else. Never about something that is an adult topic. Okay? Even when they're adults. Okay? So for example, um, there's never a good place for your kids hearing you discuss your sex life. There's just not. okay? That you have one, there is. That'll still creep them out, but they need to hear that, because they need to hear this is a good thing, not a bad thing. There's never a good place for your kids to hear uh, discussions that if, if divorce ever comes up. OK? Now, hopefully, you're not even having those, but if they do, because what's going to happen, see, is the kid can't process this the way you do. So they're going to turn it into kid version stuff. But here's what your kids do need to see. They need to see you argue. They need to see you work through problems. Because if they never see this, and I've had people, many couples in my office, who never saw their parents arguing. It's very predictable. If If I do the premarital and it's like, well, how did your parents argue? Well, they didn't. Okay, yeah, you're in trouble because guess what? They think married couples never argue. How many of you believe that? Thank you. Good. So the very first time you have an argument, that that kid growing up has an argument, he thinks his marriage is over. <laughs> I've had people do that. I mean, crisis ready. I don't know what to do, man. My my marriage is over. We're arguing, and I'm going. What are you arguing about? What do you do? What do you, we're just, we're, we're arguing, it's about money, and I, you know. And I like three minutes, I ferret it out, and it's like, they're arguing. So what? <laughs> going, really? You called me for that? But see, in their mind, this is the end of their marriage because they never saw their parents do that. So they don't get it that that's, and by the way, if they, they, they also don't know then how to do that positively. So by definition, now we're spinning out of control because you don't do that but here we are doing it. So your kids need to see certain things, examples from you, and see that you do that and see the right way to do that. That's modeling. Second uh, major method, major tool in the toolbox, communication. And you're going to see that communication probably should be paired with almost everything else because your kids always need to hear why. Now, that'll drive us crazy. They need to hear what? Why? They need to know why. You need them to know why. Because otherwise, when they're 18, they don't know how to make decisions. They may know what you did, but they don't know why. So they don't know how to apply it, see? And what we want is not so that they can just repeat whatever we did. That might not even be the right thing in in a given context. We want them to be able to process it and think it through and... I should do this, and this is why. So we need to talk to our kids. We need to talk to our kids at their level, okay? And we need to talk to our kids about feelings. We need to talk to our kids about opinions. Um, We need to show and model communication skills with our kids. You want to set them up to have a happy marriage? That's one of the best things you can do, is to show them how to communicate with another adult. Not just husband and wife, just any other adult because communication is about what I think, it's about what I feel, it might be about what I intend and communication has to be getting that message over to the other person, intact. And there's a process for that and it it takes some practice, it takes work, okay? In our society, those two big ones that I just talked about, opinions and feelings, are gender determined. Now, I had hoped, honestly, when when my kids were born, that by the time uh, I was, you know, this far down the road, that would have kind of gone away. It has not. It's gone away in terms of what we think is good, but not in terms of what we do. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about feelings. Uh, We've got a few gentlemen in the room. Gentlemen, you're ten years old. You're out playing in the street with some of your friends, okay? One of them throws a ball, you jump for the ball, you grab the ball and you face plant in the street. And now you've got, you know, a couple of layers of skin on the ground and blood and and it hurts. And you're ten years old and you start crying. And your friends all gather around. What do they say? Yeah. Stop crying. Stop crying. Or this is way worse, oh man, you're such a girl. Okay. Ladies, are you aware that this is what happens? Today? Yeah. I'm not talking 50 years ago. I mean today. Yeah. This is still happening. Now, ladies, you're playing in the street. And, you know, you fall and you scrape your knee and you, you're bleeding and it hurts and you cry and all your friends gather around. What do they do? Oh, my God, let me go meet your mom. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. You like, there's empathy. There's There's... Are, you know, are you feeling, all of this stuff that women in our society are trained to do with each other. And men are trained not to do with each other. So from the beginning, our girls, and I, I don't care if you very intentionally try not to do this with your own. Those other people that they come into contact with, including TV, including radio, including music, including Sunday school, it's going to happen. Now, you can, you can mitigate. You can make it so that it's not as pronounced in your kids. But it's going to happen because they're, they're part of this world. The world will influence them. So you need to make sure, for example, that you're training your, your boys that men have feelings too. By the way, ladies, you do get that, right? Men have every emotion women have. They may or may not know what to call it, you know? Because they're frequently not trained to even talk about it. They've been told not to talk about it. Unless, of course, it's anger. In which case, it's totally cool to say, I am angry, and then justify whatever you do with that. So okay? It's hard to figure out with them. Like, knowing mean time, it's like I'm crying over a commercial, and he's like, stop. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't understand that, and I've tried to explain him, I said, it's just a in touching commercial, you know, it just kind of chokes us up, us women are like that. And he's like, just stop. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't like to see me cry. Yeah. And I think that's because he's seen all the hurt. So, Very possibly. I, there's all sorts of things yeah. by 10 that informs that. But the bottom line is if he doesn't become a bit more comfortable talking about feelings, guess what happens when he gets married and all of a sudden we're supposed to be totally open and intimate with each other. He won't care. Yeah. Oh, he'll care. He'll care. He'll be in somebody's office saying my marriage is falling apart and I don't know what to do. Hopefully, because the other option is he'll walk out. And that happens. And that's one of the biggest causes of breakups today. Now, here's the opposite. Ladies, how many of you found that you were encouraged in high school not just by your parents but by your peers to be very intelligent and very opinionated to speak out with your opinions to tell people off if you disagreed with them okay okay. so I'm getting almost all no's so here's the thing in this society while women are socialized to deal with feelings, even though men have the feelings, and then, okay, we get to grow up not knowing what in the world to do with it. Men are socialized to deal with opinions. So, I, I was reading an article today about a person who was being called all sorts of interesting names because she was assertive. Now, she's saying exactly the same thing as her male colleagues, okay? But the male colleagues, would be called assertive and she's being called a female dog okay so where does that come from we teach our young ladies you're you're about feelings you're not about don't don't trouble yourself up here and certainly don't get into arguments because that's not cool that's not feelings and especially with guys I've got a daughter, both my daughters are extremely uh, important, they're intelligent, but I've got a daughter who is very intelligent, and unfortunately for her, has my personality. Now that's fine, but when you're female, that's a problem. When you're female and 16, this is a horrible problem. (laughs) My nickname was Rhino. 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 Lower your head charge, you know. Um, that would be a nice way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. And so she found herself, being herself, and she, I mean, she's wonderful, loving, caring. And today, happily married, a good mom, uh, serving the Lord, couldn't be happier. But she went through a lot of pain because of the pressure on her to dumb herself down, especially with guys Guys didn't like it. My answer was great. Don't have anything to do with the guy. One less, you know, I'm good with this. But when you're the 16-year-old girl, that's very painful. So let's remember that our children are, are not, the, the, the world hasn't changed that much. Our children are basically being raised by society, the societal norms, the societal expectations, exactly the same way I was. 50 years ago. It hadn't changed a bit. And the fact that we can have discussions like that, like this, and say it should be changed, doesn't mean it has. Now, here's the cool thing. By you teaching them how to talk about feelings, how to talk about opinions, by the way, here's the rule with opinions. What is the rule? Oh, good night. No, 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 no. Don't be offensive if, if possible, but don't worry about if you offend. I can't keep you from being offended. So there's no way I'm letting you run my life by whether or not you're offended. And we do that with each other all the time. You can't tell someone what opinion is. You, you certainly can't tell someone what they That's called stealing their voice, and it's extraordinarily disrespectful. You're talking down to them. The basic rule for an opinion is just you, you, you don't have to agree, but you do have to treat people with respect. Yeah, but I'm talking feelings, and those words are extraordinarily important right now. Opinions, thought, okay. not feeling. Okay. Very important to zero in on this, because feelings is a whole different rule. Here's the reason. I can disagree with your, with your opinion. You, you give me an opinion. I can say, well, you know, I don't buy that. I, I disagree. Here's why. And if I do that respectfully, in the first place, you're probably not going to stomp off or spit at me or something, you know. Uh, and by the way, guys have been doing this since they're like eight years old, because we're taught to do this. Women have a harder time doing it, so they go back to feelings, just like that. But what I, what I can do also is, if your opinion makes more sense, I can change mine. So my opinion is always right, because as soon as someone shows me it's wrong, I change it, and now it's right again. Isn't that cool, the way that works? Now, what about feelings? I can't change my feelings. So I say, I'm really angry at you right now. And you say, well, that's really stupid. you got no right to be angry at me. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I won't be then. <laughs> Does it work that way? No. no, we're stuck. I got the feeling. Sorry. Here I am. And th- this happens in marriage all the time, especially, by the way, with that. We, we grow up thinking you don't ever get to be angry at your spouse. Well, <laughs> good luck with that one. <laughs> you know? So my wife can come up and say, "Yeah, I'm so mad at you, I could spit in your face. Okay. Huh, I'm sorry you feel that way but okay I have to accept the feeling okay I don't have to understand it because it's a feeling it might be because she had onions for lunch feelings aren't necessarily rational okay no, by the way gentlemen no feeling is not just women's feelings no feeling is by definition it's not a thought it's a feeling okay but what I don't have to do is stand there and accept it if she goes, gets ready to do that spit, right? So the rule is, I have to accept and and respond appropriately to your feeling. I do not have to accept whatever behavior you decide to do. I think I'd ask if they were okay. Are you okay? My leg hurts, yeah, I can see it's bleeding. But you know what? Doesn't look real bad. Yeah. I, by, by the way, I did that once with one of my kids whose leg was broke. So, <sighs> okay, I have a doctorate, it ain't that one. <laughs> you wanna go get a shot? Yeah. <laughs> You've never seen anybody feel as bad as I did when she came home and she had this giant brace, this whole big thing on her leg, and I'm just staring at her like, really? (laughs) Oh well. So yeah, we gotta be careful. But yeah, you check them out, and if what you're doing is you're simply trying to help them not overreact, cool. Then help them not overreact. Nowhere near what we were talking about where the guys come and belittle you and all that kind of thing no, 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 but I mean still it's something like as a parent I I personally I'm, not check, I'm sure it happens all the time to everybody, you know, they they fall in their hurt. what's the appropriate response? You know? Yeah, I, again, check them out first of all, don't make my mistake <laughs> And then even then, I, I was talking to my granddaughter today One of the older ones, I love it when they get to that age her mom let her call me. She doesn't have a phone, but her mom let her call me on her phone because she broke her arm yesterday. And, you know, in the last year, uh, broke usually referred to me. So, and they were very concerned. So it's like, Grandpa, I'm like you. (laughs) It's like, that wasn't a good ambition. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they were playing. She fell and tried to stop herself and broke her arm two different places. So, She's she's rattling on, and so here's this this kid with a broken arm, and she's almost joyous about it, you know. So the immediate pain is there. Let's and we we need to accept it, but we don't have to help them become hysterical because of it. And if we don't do that, pretty soon they won't either. And then all of a sudden you got you like this where. Okay, you know, yeah, it's going to be a drag because grandpa, it's my hand. And I won't be able to use my hand. And they might put it in a cast and, you know, and it was, all right, that's what happens. But, you know, it could be worse because it's your hand, but you can still walk around, right? And that's right. And so, well, you got to do whatever the doctor says. And, and now we're on all these good, positive things. Whereas if I had just come up, yeah, you know, you know, that's not a big deal. You don't worry about it or whatever then I'm discounting her feelings. Biggest mistake we make with people is discounting feelings because feelings are extraordinarily powerful. Okay, all right, spending a lot of time on that, gonna stop because right now I either go into about a 10 hour seminar or I kind of wrap (laughs) it up. So remember though, we need to communicate with our kids about pretty much everything, but I would suggest to you that you look at your goals because that's priority. Anything related to your goals, start talking to them now. And I mean now, and I don't care if they are only one. We started telling our kids about Jesus when they were infant newborns. Could they intellectually understand that? Of course not. We knew that. But I had two goals. One is the whole uh, uh, sensory motor thing. If you remember that, we're, we're letting them hear the voice, associate even the name Jesus with being held and that calm voice and all of that. And that's huge. But the other is, none of my kids can tell you when they first heard Jesus loved them. None of them can. They can't remember a time they didn't hear that or know that. And that was our goal for them. And it was very intentional because neither my wife or I grew up that way. So look at your goals. That's what you zero in on. Okay, number three, structuring. Uh, Structuring is one of those, again, I could easily do about two, three hours on this right now, and I'm not going to because I'm going to give you a hint. When your structure doesn't work, then one of the level one corrections is restructure, (laughs) which basically means, okay, it's trial and error, Um, and your structure won't always work. So, yeah, we're going to so spend some more time talking about it even next week. But structuring basically is ordering your child's world four different ways. You guys remember this from the reading? What's one way? Spatial. Spatial <laughs> which refers to physical setup. It's, it's the area around them. Um, and I think I, I used this. I, I know I did it one time. I don't remember if I edited it out. It was the story of the four-year-old climbing on the wall? Yeah. And and, yeah. That's real. That's real. I walk in the door. This kid is standing on the you know the little molding. It's like maybe a half inch wide. It was on Facebook. No, it's in the reading here. Yeah, it might have been there might have been one on Facebook too. I don't know, but I didn't see it. But this was a kid. I mean that kid would be today roughly 30 years old. But f- 4 years old and he's standing on this thing. And I'm looking up going, "Really?" <laughs> it's like I was frozen. I had, for a moment, there was like, am I, am I really seeing this, you know? And what, we've, what we found, we traced this to a couple of things. One of them was the spatial structuring that was going on. This kid was being wired so much by all the stuff, the junk that was surrounding him first thing I had his mother do is get rid of over half of it, literally. And She ended up boxing it up, putting it in a garage, and rotating about every three months with new toys. Kid's ecstatic. He gets new toys. He didn't even remember that. Yeah, you had that last year. <laughs> They're new toys. And, and yet, it's still not that chaotic, dangerous kind of a thing that was causing that sort of reaction. So that's spatial. Um, More going to happen with smaller kids. The older they get, the more we're we're hoping to teach them this. But uh, for example, spatial could be uh, considered, yeah, this is your room and it smells like someone died in here, so you need to clean it or you don't get to have it anymore. Okay? Now that, by the way, is a correction, so that would be restructuring, but... You know, you can start it off that way when they're three or four. Whose job is it to clean up the four-year-old's room? Four-year-old. Don't tell them it's your job. You'll come in and fix it. Everyone knows that. But let them bear that. Let them own that. Okay? Because they can clean it up to a certain degree. And then you're going to come along and talk to them and things, and you're going to fix everything, and they're not even going to realize you're doing it. And if you ask that four-year-old, who cleaned your room? I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and you look at mom, she's going, yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. What's another one? Temporal. Temporal. Scheduling. Really a huge thing, and I, I, this is kind of a hobby horse of mine, so I'll try not to ride it too much. Orange County, in, w- within uh, a half-hour drive of right where we're sitting or standing right now, almost anything you want to expose your children to in a positive way is there for them. Yeah. Believe it or not, that ain't true in Salina, Kansas. I raised kids for a while in Salina, Kansas. You're looking for things for them to do, you know? Which was also cool because you tend to go out and look at frogs more, you know? But here, one of the biggest problems that we see is parents who have this, this thing in their head that they have to fill every moment of their kids' time and work in. You know, their, their friends are doing this, their friends, the parents' friends are doing this for their kids, so we've got to do all of this. Your kids should have downtime. Your kids should have unscheduled time, okay? And your kids should have an understanding. They, you, they should be able, by the time they're eight or nine, just from knowing what we do at our house and how we schedule things, what's most important. And I'll tell you right now, by the way, and again, it's not a big surprise I'm going to say this, but I am going to say this, and research backs me up. If you want to make sure that your child leaves the Lord by the time he's 21, or she, somewhere between 18 and 21, in other words, when they're out of your house, in the next few years, if you want to just be as sure as possible, then you treat corporate worship as an option. I guarantee you it will work because i've seen it now for 40 years and i've seen research that goes way back further than that there the statistical likelihood of that happening is literally anywhere from 80 to 95% even the low end four out of five do that that's not out of the blue that's because the parents have given the kids the understanding that Beach can come before, brunch can come before, sleeping in can come before, Uh, Disneyland certainly can come before, sports can come before. My kids were in sports too. My kids skipped finals because they decided it was going to be during our worship time. What's more important? This is what I've been talking about all the summer when I say don't go to church, worship. Worship. Because we don't say, you know what? We're not going to worship God with the body today. We're going to go play baseball. Nobody's going to say that. It sounds ridiculous. But we might say, we're not going to go to church today. Because that sounds like just another event. I am not exaggerating when I talk about the impact of that. So temporal structuring. You're you're setting their schedule. You're the one that's going to set it. Now, when they're 16, 17, 18, yeah, they're setting it. But guess what they're setting it on? Yeah, and what they've seen in you. Because, and by the way, if you drop them off and and then leave, so much for modeling, number one. What you just said is this is for kids. You know, adults don't do this. So as soon as they hit like 10 when they want to be seen as like an adult, yeah, that's not for me. That's for little kids. Talk to Sherry. Talk to Edmund. Ask them how many dozens and dozens of times they've seen that. Happens all, all the time. Okay. Somebody over here was taking a breath like they were gonna say something. Uh, I was something. gonna say even leaving early though, because I remember as a kid, uh we would leave church early, and I know even when I decided on my own to go back as an adult, it was still normal, let's leave early because it'll keep their you know, the it's a little bit less time, it'll keep their interest. If you've got a good reason and it, and they really are losing and and, and you know, part of that for me is make sure they're in something geared for them. You bring a five-year-old into our adult services, of course they're going to be bored. They're not geared for five-year-olds. I, I, I cannot fathom why someone would bring a five-year-old into that service when there's something geared for five-year-olds next door. But, yeah, otherwise, if it's just, yeah, we're, we're, you know, it's an hour, that's long enough, we're out of here. Okay, what are you doing? Are you worshiping? Or are you putting up with whatever's going on up there and counting time? Because I guarantee you the kids will pick up which one it is. It's back to the modeling thing. Yeah. yeah. And that comes in where, you know, I think we've even had that conversation before where uh, I see this happen with weekend activities. We have like a Friday night or a Saturday night activity. It's, a, it's hilarious how many people will kind of, okay, I've been to church this week. You went to a fellowship dinner for Pete's sake. What about worshiping God? But see, we've lost this this idea that that's what we're there for, and we think it's for us. And by the way, kids will pick that up too. Kids will pick up. It's not for us, or they'll pick up. It is. Okay, moving along. Um, Relational. This is ordering their relationships. Much easier to do with little ones, and much easier to do when you're early intervention. So here's what you don't do. You don't go to the 16-year-old and say to him, your best friend's a bad influence, I don't want you hanging with him anymore, and expect that to go over. Your 16-year-old's going to look at you and, and, yeah, that ain't going to happen, see? Now, what you need to do, see, and this can happen if we're active in parenting, is be aware of who that 16-year-old is connecting with. That means you go to all those school meetings. That means you're watching the parents. That means you go to the activities and you're watching who are they talking to, who's in the group. And that means when they come home, you say, so, how'd it go tonight? Oh, fine. It's always gonna be, oh, fine, you know? Yeah, you don't stop there. So who was there? So, you know, my, my son's at a party. Who was there? And, well, these are normal guys. Okay, who? You know, after about the 10th time, they're, they know you're not gonna give up. So they start rattling names off. Okay, cool. Who's, who's Matt? I don't know Matt. So now I'm learning about Matt. And now that's my new project. I wanna find out about Matt. I wanna find out if Matt is, is the guy I now have to say, I don't want my kid anywhere near. Or if Matt's the guy I say, yeah, you gotta invite him over. <laughs> You know, because maybe Matt's a really good influence. And by the way, your kids will always have bad influences and good influences, and your kids will always be a bad influence and a good influence. Because they're human, just like you and me. So let's not, you know, don't worry about, you know, saying somebody's a bad influence. That's not necessarily saying that kid's satanic. That's just, this is a bad mix. Okay? And the earlier you spot it, the better. So for the the four-year-olds... We just make it happen, you know? Can I go play with so-and-so? No. <laughs> Problem solved, right? That isn't true even for a 13- or 14-year-old. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'd say the odds of him really not remembering are slim. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's a, it's a common answer. With sure, nowadays sure. To well, it was a common answer for... Common, common questions Yeah. parents is, I can't remember. That was a common answer 100 years ago. These are very common answers. Yeah, it's called a put-off. And like I said, about the 20th or 10th time that you go, yeah, well, let's work on it, then they, they start giving up. If you accept it, then it works. They've learned it works. But, okay, well, did you get up this morning? Yeah. Okay, did you go to school? Did you do homework? Did you go to the beach? You know, and you just, you start, Dad, why are you grilling me? Because you can't remember. I'm trying to help you remember. Okay. You know? Uh, you know it's a game. I know it's a game. But they don't like the game. They don't. So, okay, well, then quit starting the game. that, that or he'll, he'll just turn off. Yeah. And if, they, if it's turn off, and, you know, part of the issue there is you don't have the constant contact. And I, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. That, that means it's not going to work as well as if you did. Okay? But, you know, part of that turnoff is their age. And remember that emotionally, really from about 10, but it's not as strong. By the time they get 12, 13, 14, they're not physically ready to leave home. And even though, even they know that, you know. But emotionally, their energy is outward, not inward. So one of the things that can help build some of those is conversations that helps them understand. It's so what we were talking about with seeing them as a secondary parent. That, yeah, my energy is you outward too. I don't want you here when you're 30. I want you to be mature and on your own and, and happy yourself. But we've got to get you there. So, how things go today? See, in that context, and all of a sudden, um, there's, a, there's a little bit more. Now, I, everything I'm saying is educational. There's another word, and that is therapeutic. Does anybody know what therapeutic means? It comes from the Greek word therapevo. It means healing. Therapeutic means there's a wound. Okay, Education is almost mechanical. I mean obviously every child's different every parent's different but the basics are mechanical healing is not and if there is something if there's a wound then that wound can cause all sorts of interesting things I shared with you before I didn't grow up in a christian home by the time my father showed any interest and there was this little window <laughs> where for about 6 months where he showed some interest and it was like yeah whatever and he's on with his life again by the time he showed any interest it it just it literally repulsed me it just revolted me the idea of spending time with him i didn't want anything to do with him and so you know anything like that the the normal things that i'm sharing there's no way they would have worked with me now i'm not saying that's there i'm just should have brought this up actually with communication that we need to remember that our kids may have wounds, and when they do, we've got to pay attention to those wounds. We can help them with them. We can help them have those wounds healed. And when they're healed, now we can start the other stuff, but not until. And sometimes that means years. That means we're, we're dealing with things that aren't really going to get resolved until they're adults. Does that make sense? Okay. Finally is legal. That's rules. Okay? And you set the rules. The rules... Uh, should not be arbitrary. The rules, again, the, the child should be able to say to you, why? And you should be able to tell them. Now, I was challenged on this in the, the Sunday class. What if they use why as a stalling tactic? So what do you do if you're wanting them to know why, but why becomes like, okay, that's the 30th why. <laughs> well, explain this. Explain them this. Um Have them do it and then tell them why. So they're not stalling. You you set up another rule. And by the way, you don't pretend you why. I mean, for me, this was one of my kids 10 times more than the others. Can you guess which one based on what I've said to you already? The rhino. The rhino, yeah. (laughs) I never called her rhino. (laughs) I would, yeah. um, Yeah, I won't. (laughs) I won't. I still every now and then apologize. I'm sorry you're like me. But what are you going to do? I mean, it's strength and weakness. And there's times it's seen her through good things. But um, for her, it was like, Sarah, you're driving me crazy. You know, five years old, honey, I love how assertive you are. I know, Daddy. I love how strong you are. I know, Daddy. You're driving me crazy. I know, Daddy. (laughs) So, okay, we're going to have to deal with this. So by seven or eight, I don't remember exactly when. I don't know if I cited in there. I had to say, look, you're using that to stall. You don't get to do that anymore. So from now on, you don't get to ask why until you do what I tell you to do. So you say, "Why did you do what I said?" That first thing comes out of my mouth. Did you do what I said? And she knew that was that was like, okay, we're done talking. Okay. By the way, I never ever ever threatened, and I never bluffed. Well, one time, and that was I'll I'll illustrate that one next week because that was a real embarrassing thing, but only once. Never ever after that. So. When, when you say this to them, then they get to ask why. But in order to understand, not to get out of what you're saying. What I found a few years down the road is every now and then, she had a good reason to maybe do it different. And she, she, I found her crying one day, and I don't know if I found her or, or her mom did. Uh, anyway, I said, okay, Sarah, here's the thing. The reason we're doing this is because you were stalling. See, it's your your thing, you're the one that started this. So here's a new thing we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you a code phrase, and when you say that phrase, I guarantee you, I'll stop everything, and I'll say, okay, explain. You better have a good reason why what what I've told you to do might not be good to do. Because if you don't, code phrase is out the window from now on, and we're right back where we were. But if you do, I'll consider it. Maybe I changed my mind. And over the years, there were times when she would share something with me I wasn't aware of. Uh, you know, if, if I pretend I'm omniscient, boy, am I in trouble now. So, okay, Sarah, I didn't know that. You're right. So now we'll negotiate something different. And now you go do that. Okay? But the rules are still the rules, see? And the rules are understood. She always knew what the rules were. The, the worst thing you can do is have a rule that they don't understand because that doesn't look like a rule. That looks like power. It looks like bullying. And we all know our parents are big enough to bully us for a while. So, you know, that, that doesn't impress anybody. And by the time they're able to resist the bullying, then they throw us away. But if the rules are there for a reason, they may throw the rules away because they may disagree with the reason. That's fine as long as they know why. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, number four is esteem building. Um, This has kind of been overworked over the last 40 years, but it is true that a good self-image, or uh, actually self-image is a picture of yourself. Self-esteem is the value of yourself. They are related. That positive self-esteem sets a child up for success in a lot of different ways, and negative self-esteem sets them up for failure, mostly, by the way, giving in to whoever has more assertiveness, whether it's teachers, neighbors, and I guarantee you, the peers. There's no way in the world a kid with low self-esteem standing up to peers. It ain't gonna happen. So they've gotta have this self-esteem. Now, how do you build that into them? Number one, what about you? Where are you? Because if you don't value yourself, and, and I'm not saying you should be conceited, Biblical self-esteem is seeing yourself the way Christ sees you. Okay, He sees you broken. He sees the image of God that you bent. Okay, So we're not sugarcoating that. But he sees you as so valuable that he became flesh and died for you. How, much, how, how could you be more valuable than that? The Christian message about self-esteem is Jesus paid Jesus for you. That's what he set your value at. And that's what we need to communicate to our kids. If you don't believe it, they won't either. So if you don't believe it, get to work believing it. Get to work on it. And you can do that. It may take you a while. depends on how long you worked up to where you are. But you can do it. And by the way, even if they're watching you now, they see the change. And they'll learn and grow from that. Four things that are necessary. Um, I quoted the author. The book that I quoted, honestly, not a very good book. But the outline was really good. And so, you know, four things. You may find this, I'm not going to name the guy, but if you find this in a popular Christian author uh, book and he doesn't attribute it to someone else, he stole it. There's one particular author that published this about 10, 15 years later as though he made it up. And well, yeah, it wasn't the same book. Uh, you know, it was a book on self-esteem. Presented the same four things. Okay. Now I love the four things because I can remember four things. Okay. I, I have a book, 101 ways to enhance your si- child's self-concept. Really, hundred and one? I'm going to remember that? Are you serious? Not happening. Four. And the hundred and one all fit into one of these. Number one, sense of belonging. You make your kids feel belonging or not. You. So uh, this is totally under your control. You can, you can make this happen or you cannot. If they do not have that sense of belonging, it will haunt them all their lives. I guarantee you. I speak from experience. That is my number one neurosis. S- number two, sense of uniqueness. They need to know by the way, a good new uniqueness. <laughs> now, you're so stupid, I can't believe it. That's unique, but it's not such a good thing, right? Are you? Yeah, and you're really clumsy. I've, I've seen kids who grew up seeing themselves as the clumsy kid, you know? Because they're always falling and getting hurt, and like, okay, so you're falling and getting hurt. Is that really the label you want your kids to have for themselves? So you need to find those good, positive things that identify them and that make them them as opposed to other people. And talk to them about that. Let them know you see that. You identify it for them. Earlier the better. Um, nicknames that reinforce this. See? Positive nicknames, not negative ones. <laughs> nicknames are great if, if they're positive. But they can be so destructive if they're negative. So building in that sense of, you, you know, I'm different because I'm this. And by the way, not better. Not better, just different. And and the younger kids will have a real hard time with that, you know. But no, you're you're unique and God built you in a specific way does not mean you're better than someone. Uh, Sense of control over their own life, not other people's lives, not your life, okay. And don't give them too much. Four-year-old, what would you like to wear today? Here's your closet, okay. An hour later, they're just standing there and crying, you know. I saw a a four-year-old taken to Disneyland, Had not from around here, never been to Disneyland before. And they take her in, and uh, they push her around for like 10, 15 minutes. These are friends of one of my kids, and we're with them. We're we're watching and talking, and and after about 15 minutes, they turn to the four-year-old, what would you like to do? (laughs) Yeah, are you serious? I mean, the kid was aware of enough to totally, she just broke down crying, and spent the rest of the day crying. Now if they'd have said to her, you want to go see a princess or do a ride? Yeah. Okay, she can handle that, see. And it gives her a sense of some control. I get a choice. She doesn't need to know there's another 498 million choices, yeah. see. So you give them the choice and the, the uh, control as they're able to handle it. Which means at 17, there's decisions you're not letting your kids have yet. Okay? Nope, that one's going to wait until I have to give it up, you know. But you're, you're training them towards it and talking to them about it. Okay, and then finally positive models. Hopefully that's you, but you shouldn't be the only one. So we got that secondary team, other people. What about those people, okay? Um, they can be people that they don't even know, sports heroes, huge We get to choose whether we're going to emphasize the guy who is selfless, the guy who's a gentleman and who loves the Lord and isn't afraid to say so, or the guy who's now got his fifth arrest for DUI. You know, they might both be great on the field, and the DUI guy might be playing for the team I personally am cheering for, okay? Doesn't mean I want my kid to be like him. So communication, we're going to talk about that and set that person up. Ultimately, somebody said this Sunday, well, Jesus is the ultimate model. Well, of course he is. But remember those um, levels or stages of learning because most children, until they get to adolescence, there's no way they can handle that. That's way too conceptual for them. They need much more concrete, and we can give them that. Stimulation. Stimulation, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way you should go. No, it doesn't. That's a mistranslation. Look in a New American Standard, they give you a footnote, literally, in his own way. Okay, The Hebrews had this understanding that God created a path for each one of us is not the same. They're all following God. I mean, none of those paths that God created are away from God. But your path and my path, did you know this guy can count? This guy's weird. He likes... With good <laughs> <laughs> this guy's weird. That was my kids. You're not my kid. This guy's a CPA. He has fun with that. Can you believe this? (laughs) And, you know, I mean, honestly, one of my best friends, actually best man in my my, uh, wedding, was a mathematical genius. He was weird, too. Best man, like the guy, love the guy, but weird, man, because he was, like, in all of this math stuff, and I'm looking at him like, seriously? Two plus two is what? You know, because I kind of struggled with that one. So we, we, we're not going to be the same. We can, we can understand where our children are and move them towards the strengths God has given them. If my parents, had, and they did, by the way, when I was 10 years old, tried to put me in a college-level algebra class, um, it just so happened I was able to do it. And it made me even less likely to do anything having to do with math because it wasn't my... I've got a grandson who, at eight, can read a set of instructions that I can't understand and put a thing together, that I'm still staring at the instructions. I'm I'm talking a specific situation. I'm staring at these stupid instructions half an hour later. He comes in and says, Grandpa, I did it, and I'm going, sure you did, Drace, and I looked at it and I go, whoa, he did, 100% put together and working. It was a working model of a trebuchet. You know what that is? Yeah, it's kind of a catapult. It was amazing. We talked about that one. Okay. So what are your kids' strengths? How do you stimulate? See, nothing's wrong yet. How do you stimulate growth in a positive direction? Let them take off with that. Maybe you don't know yet, so at five or six, you let them play with different things. There's sports leagues that are designed to expose kids to lots of different sports at a fun level for the express purpose of helping you understand whether any of those is good for your kid is a good match. Pardon? I've never heard of that. Yeah. I don't know if there's one here. I know that they're functioning in San Marcos because no, my grandkids are in yeah. idea. Yeah. You know, if, with what we did, because we didn't have one of those either, is we simply put them in the earliest level and, you know, we, you're going to finish. But once they finished that one time, we never made them do that again. Well, some of them wanted to do it more and more and more and more. One of them in particular, like, Get that away from me, don't ever make me do anything like that again. Okay, And that one ended up becoming an extraordinary vocalist. Something weird, different, right? Something wasn't my gift, wasn't Donna's gift, but we need to understand that so that we can help her grow and make things available to her. Okay, the final one is reinforcements, very simple. Catch your kids doing good stuff and reward them. What is the best reward by far for your children? <clears throat> no, I'm sorry. Love is not. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. I think you may be thinking what I'm thinking, but there's a twist to it. Encouragement. Okay. How? Um, just reiterating to him what an amazing job. It's he right there. Do. Right there. You I did an amazing job. Compliment. Compliment. But always compliment accurately. Do not give your kids empty also. compliments. Compliments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unless they're a comic hack, you don't really want them on there. Can I give an example of
1: something I did for that with my daughter? Go ahead.
0: I made this little card that was kind of like a bookmark size, and had these ten marks, and it was erasable. And every time it says, "I caught you doing something good," yeah, and I would mark it off, and I'd say, "Megan, I caught you doing something good. Wonderful job!" And I'd mark it off. And then at the end of the day, if she had done at least ten of those things, I'd reward her by having like a family game that night. Yeah. Now, you can go to the other level of you know, the reward and so forth, or you can choose not to. The interesting thing is, with most kids, it won't matter. In terms of the, the impact of the reinforcement and moving them on the right path, you telling them they did good, that's huge. We, we so underrate. Now, I said not love. Here's the thing. Never withhold love. So I, I, I suspect you meant what, I, what we were saying. But I've also seen parents who, for example, would not hug their kid because their kid didn't do something right. You know, yeah, that is horrible. And you're warping your kid, trust me. Um, If you don't understand why that's so horrible, come talk to me. We'll talk, but don't do that, okay? Your your kids need to know that your love for them is as, as well... Yeah, I I was going to say, as unconditional as you can make it. We're human. Only God's love is truly unconditional. But they need to know that. And yet also know that you're not going to praise them unless something looks good. Now, my granddaughter brings me a a coloring thing that looks like a a five-year-old colored it. Okay? What am I going to say about it? That is so cool. Thank you. That is beautiful. Beautiful. Because it's a five-year-old's work, it is. Now, if she was 15 and she brought me the same thing, probably not gonna say that, okay? Yeah. So, you know. Are we into abstract or what? I I truly am not a big fan, for example, of participation trophies. I know that's, that's becoming a big discussion today. And I'm glad it's at least being discussed, although Facebook's probably not the best place for it. But, you know, participating is not necessarily an accomplishment. Now, if participating is an accomplishment for a given child, you know that, and you can make your own rewards for it. Okay? Because it is true in some cases. But that's stuff that, that nobody else knows about. The average child participating is, yeah, I just I showed up because you made me. So I got a, I got a trophy because you made me show up, seriously. Um, reward what they do but at the level that is appropriate. Because otherwise what happens is, then they, (laughs) I've taught both undergrad and graduate work, and I've had people say to me, "Um, but I'm an A student. You gave me a C. Mm. And I said, no, you earned a C, and therefore you are a C student. No, I'm an A. Why are they saying that? I'm an A student. Because they grew up being told, all you have to do basically is show up. And you get rewarded for that. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't work in college. Certainly doesn't work in a master's program. So, no, you're going to have to actually perform here and do something right. And uh, amazingly enough, I had people actually challenge that to the dean. He thinks my grade should be tied to how well I did. This is a quote. And I've had more than one. Fortunately, I always had deans that said, uh, yeah, so what's your problem? So, you know, be careful of that. Okay, I'll, I'll answer in just a second, but we are three minutes over, and I apologize because there are kids that need to be picked up. So I'll uh, formally finish. Read through level one correction for next week. Okay? I just want to share something that I learned that was really valuable that relates to the whole reinforcement thing in my